Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, so if you remember from our last episode, Joe shipped me off to England to see what was happening over here in terms of movies. We had a great conversation with Billy Piper, and today I'm going to pop into this editing bay and talk to the legendary Martin Campbell, whose uh, new film, The Protégé, is out in theaters and who's already uh, cutting away at his next one. Uh, here he is, Martin Campbell. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. What are you editing right now? I've just done a film with Liam Neeson. Um, it's a remake of a film, um, a remake of a film in uh, in 2003, I think, called Memory of a Killer. And it's about a hitman getting Alzheimer's. Yes. Oh, wow. Wonderful. I, I, good Lord. I got, um, I, I didn't know that was getting made. That was one of those projects that uh, I think I got, a, I may even have met on once or twice back in the day. But uh, yeah, that's a really, really, uh, oh, fantastic! You're doing it. I'm, I'm wonderful, perfect, perfect. I can't wait. Uh, when when's that coming out? Uh, you know, I don't know when it's coming out. I've just finished my cut, actually. Um, oh, great! So we're just doing a, a attempt mix and things, but uh, uh, really, I've just shot it, and I've, I've, I've um, uh, we shot it in Bulgaria. Uh, it's all set in El Paso, <laughs> um, but you know, tax breaks and. Um, you know, uh, the budget always uh, come into this. But we did shoot a little bit in El Paso, uh, but it was mainly shot, all the interiors were shot in uh, Bulgaria. And, oh, the interior, okay, all right. Yeah, and we had a good cast. We had Liam, Liam Neeson was playing the lead. We had Guy Pierce, and we had Monica Belushi. So we had a, oh, wow. we had a pretty good cast, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I did. I did a... It's crazy Bulgaria for El Paso. I did a movie in El Paso in like 1996 and um, it was, it was pretty cheap then, I guess, but uh, I assume Bulgaria is <laughs> Bulgaria for El Paso. That's, that's the world we live in now. It's um, well, I did, um, I did the protege for Vietnam and Bulgaria. So they are. Mm. So is Bulgaria just the interiors though, right? No, no, I did some of the exteriors. I mean, I don't know whether you've seen the film or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, river, for example, was Bulgaria. <laughs> we dropped in some digital, obviously, you know, and uh, the church was Bulgaria. You know, the, the hospital in the jungle, all that stuff. Most That's of it was shot in Bulgaria because they wouldn't allow us into um, into uh, Vietnam because of COVID. So, ah, you know. oh, sure. Oh, wow. So, of course, you made this. Wow, wow. I did get two shots in Vietnam, which I directed live. I was sitting in Bulgaria, and <laughs> my crew were out on the Dragon Bridge in Da Nang, and I was directing them live as, as we wow. shot. So I did get two shots, actually, in Vietnam. But, That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I got, I, I've just started thinking about that as new movies come out, is how much of this was shot under COVID restrictions. And then also, I, this is not, this is my usual, we're in my office. It's actually just suddenly hit me that I'm sitting here with this giant 12 sheet for you only live twice. Not not my favorite Bond film, but I think it's my favorite Bond poster. <laughs> it's a great poster. Yeah. No no offense to any of your your uh, entrees, but in this one, he's got I don't know if you can tell oh, the reflection. He has prehensile toes. <laughs> yeah, that was a great kick in at him. Yes, yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> well, let's let's get into it. And also, Martin, we are recording, so it's not I, I um, if I say anything all. horrible that you object to in this introduction, tell me it all. I'll do it again, but I, I just want to. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's it's uh, our, our our guest is is one of those people that you um, at least I 
uh, was a fan of before I realized I was a fan of because, uh, um, you know, I had watched things like Riley Ace of Spies and the original Edge of Darkness uh, and the great Fred Ward um, TV movie. I think it was for HBO. Oh, cast, yes. yeah. cast a Deadly Spell. <clears throat> Um, he's also done some incredible action films like Mask of Zorro and No Escape and sort of always a sign of quality. But most importantly, um, I, I can't. And, and there was recently, I think BBC America did a, a ranking of uh, the best directors, uh, the best James Bond directors. And uh, our, our guest is Martin Campbell, who is, as far as I know, is the only person to have essentially reinvented James Bond twice. Um, he directed Goldeneye and Casino Royale. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this, and uh, uh, I will own it, even if some of the uh, gentlemen who came afterwards end up on our show. Um, in both cases, uh, the, the best the best movies in that particular uh, what would you say subset? Um, Goldeneye is is just the, the the best of the Pierce Brosnan, and Casino Royale, of course, is just I, that might be the best James Bond movie. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that objectively. I don't, uh, uh, um, I, I wouldn't dare to bring my own personal opinion. I can actually prove this with a calculator. Um, but, uh, and he's got a new movie out, uh, The Protege with Maggie Q, Samuel Jackson, Michael Keaton, Robert Patrick. It's so good. It's so much fun. It's, um, uh, I, listeners, some listeners know this. I've got a, a movie that's about to go into production for Netflix that is, um, a uh, thing I wrote that's my own kind of entree into the, um, let's, let's say, the lady action genre. And I had very strong ideas about what these movies should be and what some of the failings that the others would have been, have been. And I'm watching The Protégé, and it's so smooth and so well done and so not, it so doesn't call attention to itself in a kind of obnoxious way that it took me 45 minutes to an hour to realize that, it was that it was a female centric action film, but um, it didn't do any of those things that uh, um, kind of drive me nuts about the genre where it's like constantly pointing at itself going, look, look, we put a woman in an action film, which you, you shouldn't do. I think it's um, it, it, it should speak for itself. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I mean, she's, she's tough. She doesn't kind of two of the things that, um, my co-writer and I were doing our film that, that we were really adamant about where we didn't want the action to spring out of her gender in the sense of uh, she shouldn't be avenging a rape and it shouldn't be about um, her children. Cause these are things that are never done to, you know, uh, nobody ever raped Rambo and nobody ever kidnapped dirty Harry's <laughs> child. Uh, and the other is she should be completely in charge of her own sexuality. And um, uh, protege does, does all of that. And then some, um, it's so much fun. Michael Keaton's, uh, I mean, obviously Maggie Q's great. Um, Michael Keaton looks like he's having the time of his life in this thing. Yes, uh, I think he was. <laughs> it's yeah. Cause in a weird way, even though, um, uh, I, I don't think I'm spoiling it. It's like the first time he shows up, you know, this is not just going to be the love interest. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's kind of the bad guy. And yet in a weird way, he's also getting to play James Bond a little bit. Uh, which had to... and, and and the thing is, you know, what you're saying about Maggie is always these, uh, if you will, a female kind of, um, you know, the female kick, kick ass characters. Uh, always the question I ask myself is, well, do you believe them? I mean, do you mm -hmm. actually believe they're doing what they're doing? And a lot of the time, of course, I don't believe it, you know, that simply. Uh, they're doing it because they've been taught to do it and it's, you know, stunt work and so on and so forth. But does the character, do you really believe that she can do what she's doing? So that's the first criteria for me. And you're absolutely right. In charge of a sexuality? Absolutely. And uh, just to sort of, like all of these things, um, action should be character-based. You know, the problem when you see movies where the action, you just get a lump of action for the sake of action, I, it just deadens it, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that I do try and do is have it sort of uh, related to character um, as much as possible. And the thing with Maggie, who, and by the way, she's, of course, she's um, terrific because she was trained by Jackie Chan. So she's... Oh, uh, God, yeah. She, Oh yeah, she's 
knows all this stuff. She did 98% of all her own stunts, wow. including the one jumping off the railing and so forth. She did that herself, and uh, but she's been trained. And, you know, combine that with someone who is a terrific actress. I mean, an yeah. actress. And in fact, I cast her before I ever knew that she was, you know, had the chops to do the action. Mm. I just saw a clip of her with um, Ethan Hawke. And uh, it was a love, I think it was a love story. I'm not sure what it was, but they sent me this three-minute clip. And uh, her acting was terrific. So I based it on that. I had no clue about her, um, you know, about her action background. Well, that had to be a nice surprise. <laughs> it was a big surprise, yes. Oh boy, it was a real. Was there's a, real a there's a few dollars we can save. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, she's she's great. The movie's so much fun. I recommend it. it's in theaters now as we speak. See it in a theater. That is my one regret. I have a great home set up, giant screen, wonderful sound, all the rest of that. But I still wish I had seen it on an even larger screen, surrounded by people. Um, it is it is a movie that uh, can can only uh, benefit um, from that experience. But. Um, uh, yeah, it was just fun, and it was it was everything I hoped for from one of your films. One of the things I love, and forgive me for saying this, I feel like you're one of the great underrated directors. Um, I I think of you the way I think of someone like George Roy Hill, who just kind of consistently, you know, oh, yeah. turned out really solid, I, smart, I great, great man of his. You know, George Roy Hill. I, I mean, met. Just look at uh, like Butch Cast, and then watch Slapshot. You know, yeah, two more yeah. films you couldn't get. But he was a wonderful director. George he, he was, and he never quite, even though he had a bunch of hits, you know, he's never spoken of in the sort of... You never see him in the history books, or he was actually a bomber pilot during the war. Was he? I did. Over Germany, yeah. I, I didn't know that. that that's, that's Yeah, so I... I but um, you, you have done a thing that I uh, really respect and I, I um, trust is my choice, because I feel like especially these days, a lot of filmmakers will have one or two hits kind of in an action genre and then um, use that as a stepping stone into something, quote unquote, more reputable. And uh, you seem to be pretty happy um, doing, doing these kind of films because there's such joy in them and there's such, um, the protege does not feel like someone who's sick and tired of where they are. It's just well, like- well, These are the movies I love going to see, quite yeah. frankly. That's what I do, the movies that I, re I enjoy thrillers. I'm, I'm a great thriller. Fan. Um, and you know, other films in this genre. I loved um, Angelina Jolie. I think it was in um, what, what was her when they uh, way back? Um, Salt. Salt. Another one. I could absolutely believe in Angie sort of doing doing yeah. that. Um, and uh, uh, obviously with um, Atomic Blonde, right? The, yeah. But the other thing I find, and you know, I get sent these scripts and. The stories a week, you know, for, for however brilliant the action is. And saying right. atomic, the action was fantastic. There were, you know, incredible stuff. Uh, the problem for me was the story yeah. itself. You know, the story always somehow seems lacking. There's no real plot. There are no surprises. It's basically a, a film top and bottom that you see her kick ass very convincingly with some wonderful, wonderfully choreographed action. Um, shot, you know, single shot action, which is tremendous. But um, uh, the, it's always the narrative for me that is the often the disappointment. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree entirely. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, I've written action scripts like the one we're doing. And it's like, I also feel, uh, you know, I try to come in from the point of view of um, it's important to have good action set pieces. Uh, but I think it's more important to know where they know where they go and what the emotional consequences are, because the reality is by the time the thing is made, they will have thrown out what I've written in terms of the action and they'll bring in people who are better at that than me. And so the job is write a great script about great characters leading up to those scenes, telling a story that, that matters emotionally. Cause um, yeah, as you say, if it doesn't have that, I just, I just don't care. I just don't care. Exactly. Uh, I feel yeah, and and everything you you, you clearly uh, subscribe to that view. Um, I, I have to say, I've had moments where I'm writing something where I just feel like I should just write action goes here and then move on because, like I say, it's like I'm not a stunt man, I'm not a stunt coordinator, I'm not a great director. I rewrite most of the action myself. Exactly, and simply and you know, it's I just always say to writers. I remember in Casino, the parkour chase was six lines. 
and simply said, you know, what follows is the best parkour chase ever put on film uh, for the director. Yes. For the director to whatever. And uh, and they're right. I mean, there's no point in them wasting a lot of time writing a lot of action that, you know, frankly, um, uh, that when we get the location and you know we really plot this thing out, it's clearly going to be totally different to what's in the script. Yeah. The key to that uh, one paragraph is parkour sequence. Yeah, exactly. Right? And and that's the writer's quite rightly. That sort of wrote six lines and that was that. And and may I say you delivered. Um that was that was just a breathtaking sequence. Uh but yeah, and I wish um and I'm sure you know this, but you know, as, as a writer, we spend, you know, before a script will get to you, we're sitting there in, you know, development with studio executives who are going, you know who are putting as much, if not more attention into those action scenes than we did and, yeah. you know, demanding change. And you're sitting there going, why am I, this is crazy. You, you know, as well as I do, <laughs> <laughs> the, the instant we can't get that location and it has to be set in an elevator, everything's going to change. Yeah. Better ideas. You sort of, you also have your stunt arranger who's also comes in with a lot of ideas. So yeah. the action is going to be very different to what's, um, what's written. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's a frustrating part of this process, but um, uh, but anyway, I just just wanted to sort of lay out my bona fides. I'm a giant fan uh, of your work and uh, have been for a long time, and uh, very happy to have you here. Would love to talk to you about some of the movies that have kind of inspired you over over the years. And um, uh, I don't, I mean, what, did you, um, uh, you know, were, were you one of one of uh, one of those people like myself who just saw saw a lot of great movies and went, I want to do that? Or did you come to it? Yeah, some it's of, pretty much yeah. that, what you're, what you're saying. You know, the, the first movie that really got me was The Manchurian Candidate, the uh, Frank, Frank yeah. The second one was no good, but the, um, the original was Frank Sinatra. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Frankenheimer directing was a tremendous picture. It was, uh, and Lawrence Harvey was in it playing the, playing the son of the, um, you know, of of the uh, the woman who was two when she well, gave birth to him dominating and controlling everything and yeah. it was it was a terrific film that that made a huge impression on me that movie. and i said uh, did you you saw it when it came out i did i imagine yeah i loved it i probably saw it about four times but um that, that made a huge impression and probably set the table for me as far as thrillers are and so and even now when you see it it's a terrific movie it's it's insane how good it is it was um uh, I can't remember. The, the, it, it was impossible to see for many, many years. That's right. And there was a legal problem, I think. I don't know what There was some legal issue, and I think there was also some sort of anxiety about the, the sort of Kennedy connection of it all that first led to that. And um, uh, But, yeah, so it was just a movie that growing up I only heard of. And when I'm I not, finally... I'm not sure it wasn't Kennedy that actually suggested to Frankenheimer to make it. I am not, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's, that I heard that story at some oh, point. Oh, fantastic. That, 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 yeah, that makes sense. But, um, you know, Kennedy was responsible for the success of the Bond books. For the Bond books, too, yeah. yeah. It was entirely. He's put them on his top ten list, and suddenly Ian Fleming was a rich man. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, if only he'd been a studio executive, he might still be with us. Um. <laughs> Yes, that's true. That's true. But yeah, that movie was so, you know, and there was something, I mean, it came out decades, again, decades later, and there's always that kind of thing you go where like, well, it's a 30-year-old movie. I'm sure it's good. Is it, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And, um, uh, but I was completely unprepared for just, it's an amazing film. It just knocks you out. <clears throat> Wonderfully shot in black and white. And, you know, great performances from Lawrence Harvey, Frank Sinatra, and, um, uh, and God, who's the lady? She was in Murder, She Wrote. What's it? Angela Lansbury. Anyway, uh, she was fantastic. You know, and uh, and so only that, two years older than Lawrence Harvey, I believe. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the, um, the, the, that, that was a film that ha had a huge influence on me. But David Lean was probably my biggest influence. I mean, oh. Lawrence, Lawrence to me was a wonderful film i mean i still look at it now i'm just it takes your breath away and if you see it on the big screen which it must be seen on the big screen yes um i know they've uh, restored it and so forth um it's a it's a genuinely brilliant film lawrence and how the hell they made it well they spent two years making it but uh, 
And of course, you'd never be able to do that now. But I, I was a huge fan of Lean and Bridge on the River Choir, I loved. And all those early stuff, you know, as Oliver Twist and uh, all, all, all that, um, uh, all his um, early films. He was a brilliant director. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think, yeah, go ahead. and um, Lawrence were probably the two, my two favorites. Yeah, those are, I think they're mine too. And um, it's, it's an interesting development to watch as he goes from those kind of uh, black and white literary adaptations into these oh. sprawling uh, films. Um, and, and you can see the connection uh, with your movies, kind of that, that uh, I, I can't put my finger on it though, but, but it's like there's a kind of, um, kind of widescreen international locales, um, Kind of sprawling uh, quality to I, I sort of make the attempt, but unfortunately, I didn't quite have the schedule that David Lean used to have. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, in those days, it's amazing to think they had no digital. I mean, what you shot was what you got. There was absolutely yeah. no way of in the film in any shape or form to uh, sort out mistakes and so forth. So, uh, and then, yeah, and imagine being you know ten months into your shooting and putting your lead on a horse in front of. 500 screen. I mean, <laughs> yes. this, 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 this. sort of, you know, <clears throat> oh my God. Absolutely terrifying. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And, and how, so where, I, where did you grow up again? You're, you're New Zealand, is that correct? And, and what were, um, uh, I mean, I've been there, but obviously not... <laughs> Only recently. What, what what kind of movie theaters did you have? Like, did you get to see Lawrence on a big giant? Yeah, no, no, no. They had sort of a very good movie. Uh, where my town was a town called Hastings, which is on the east coast of the North Island. But they had in our town three big cinemas, uh, the state, the regent, and the embassy. I remember it very clearly. And uh, they, they, were, they were big theaters, yeah. And, and so you're sitting there and... Um, uh, you know, you, you were, were you someone who like, when you saw Lawrence, were you someone who was already kind of aware of directors? Were you going like, this is, I'm looking forward to the well, new David Lean. Believe it or not, then I had no idea what directing was all about. I just watched these movies probably like you did. And, yeah. uh, um, you know, my earliest recollections where I took my mother to see Dr. No. Right. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> there was one, and I remember going to see The Guns of Navarone probably about four times when it came out. You know, it was an epic sort of, you know, ed, uh, epic uh, widescreen adventure story set in the war. I mean, what a great movie that was at the time. And it's yeah. pretty, pretty good now. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something about those movies too. I mean, I, I, um, I don't dislike war movies, but there's something about... Uh, but the ones I most respond to, yeah, they tend to be things like Guns of Navarone or, or uh, Dirty Dozen. There's, there's a well, they're, always, they're, they're always the sort of eight guys doing Mission Impossible, basically. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the same formula. Um, yeah. All those, all those are basically the same formula, whether it be the Guns of Navarone or whatever. But, um, you know, doing, doing the impossible is, is uh, and like you, the Dirty Dozen and so forth. I mean, what's interesting, I worked, I started off as a, TV cameraman, video cameraman in the 60s. And they just finished down the road doing the Dirty Dozen with uh, literally, you know, within half a mile oh, wow. at Earl Street. And um, uh, uh, I think it was about 66 or 67 they did that. And uh, Earl Street was a very 
you know, they had the studios there, everything else. They made a lot of big moves, including yeah. 2001, of course, was made there. So, yeah. and uh, also, yeah. And didn't they, they did some of the Bond films there too, right? Or am I misremembering? No, no, not there. They've, I think Bond is pretty much continually being made at Pinewood because- oh, Pinewood, yeah. Pinewood, yes. They have the 007 stage, which That's they right. own. Oh, okay. Uh, but in fact, when we did GoldenEye, we couldn't use it because it was booked up. So we had to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem right. <laughs> no, oh God. Yeah. Should you should have uh, you should have uh, I think sort of prior you know priority there. I would imagine. Yeah, and didn't they? I remember um, as a kid being very impressed by this when uh, the Spy Who Loved Me came out. I think didn't they uh, had to use two sound stages for the submarine set or something. Like I know, that. yeah, great stuff though. I mean, Ken Adam was the greatest in terms yeah. of. He sort of he had a huge impact on Bond. That yeah. great sets, the submarine sets, the even Doctor No, his earliest one. You know, the sense of perspective and the, the sense of uh, scope with him was fantastic. I mean, he did Doctor Strangelove, which was a marvelous right. design film too. You know, and. Which, uh, I think 2001 he did. I think he gave up after that with Kubrick. He'd had enough. But I think... how do you how do you top that? Yeah. It was all something I liked, and and I, I don't want to say I miss it from from the current ones. But there was a um, even as a kid, it struck me as kind of funny that uh, all these disparate villains seemed to go to the same designer. But but I loved it. You know, there was a there was a kind of through line of the look of all these things that was really comforting. That didn't bear too much thinking about. No, no, exactly. Um, but but I I do uh, I have to say if if I had one one criticism of um, Casino Royale, it's I missed I missed a Ken Ken Adam villains layer. So oh yeah, no, uh, no, <laughs> no, to go back and reshoot some no, scenes for yeah, the extended one, one, edition. And, and I didn't have have him on uh, Goldeneye either, either, but uh, he had sort of I think either retired or given up. But you know he he, he was um, he was very special, Ken and. You know, he can't really be replaced. Yeah. No one ever made their sets like he did. Do you do you remember kind of consciously like a, a time, um, maybe sitting in a theater or coming out of one, kind of going, "This this is what I want to do." Uh, no, not really. Uh, well, I sort of wanted to get involved in the industry, no question. And when I left New Zealand and I, I went to London, I was so determined to become a a TV cameraman. I know that I, I didn't really know what directing was, to be honest. I didn't sort of, um, I, I, I didn't sort of, you know, whatever I was, 1920 when I did it. And it was only when I got into TV as a cameraman that I realized that, and working with directors, right, I thought, damn it, I can do better than these guys. You know, I've got a, <laughs> you know, I can, I'm sure I can do better. <laughs> So based on, I never did get, thank God, a, uh, a job in TV because uh, as it happened, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So, I mean, directing, I'm talking about. Right. So I would never have probably uh, made it to Hollywood. Um, I want to go back to Frankenheimer a minute too, because that, that he seems like another one that, um, yeah, makes perfect sense, uh, would, would connect with you. Um, again, he was just a guy who just consistently, so like he got up in the morning, was like, if he just finished a movie, he started another one. And there's just this kind of through line of, of even though there's sort of disparate films, there's always this kind of through line of a, a kind of strong narrative sense. Um, uh, yeah, great... The sixties was his great time. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he did the young savages all fall down Birdman of Alcatraz. Um, the, the uh, uh, Grand Prix, I think came up, which was not a good film. Actually Grand Prix was not. It's, yeah. I thought, I thought it was rather funky, the whole movie. I mean, the action stuff was great, but the story itself wasn't very good. Um, and he also did The Train, which is a marvelous piece of yeah. work. Yeah. Photographed that black and white again. Uh, and seconds. Was, and seconds, of course, with uh, Rock Hudson. Yeah. And, and the thing is that with that with the Manchurian candidate, so the 60s was really his sort of era. I think after that, he sort of slightly went off, if you see what I mean. I think he, none of his films really uh, connected. I suppose French Connection 2 uh, was, I'm, was... I'm a fan of that one. Yeah, there, it's kind of hit and miss, but then he's... Yeah, you know, Black Sunday is pretty good. 
yeah, some some and Black Sunday is pretty good. Yeah, as a um, you know the the blimp flying over the uh, stadium and so forth. But uh, I think Robert Shaw was the bad guy. That was uh, I think he was the good guy, wasn't he? Was the, he the, yeah, was he's the uh, um, yes, yeah, yeah. Is, is he like? Yeah. Isn't he playing an Israeli uh, soldier? <laughs> He's always playing a Russian or an Israeli. Yeah. Yeah, but it was um, but, Yeah. And there is, yeah, there's kind of a hit and miss quality, but then you get stuff like, I mean, he did an amazing film with Canon in the in the 80s called 52 I Pickup. With, uh, Roy Scheider and Anne Margaret. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I yeah. remember that. And uh, it was a, what do you call it? But what's the writer? Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like the first great Elmore Leonard crime movie. And um, and he worked with uh, Sam Jackson on a, there was a movie about Attica um, yes, for yes. HBO. But yeah, but there was that consistent stream though for a while in the 60s. And um, Very funny because when I, when I came over to Hollywood very early on, I rang him up. I rang Frankenheimer up and I said, you know, I've been a huge fan for all. Can, can I buy you dinner? To which he said, yes. So he did Kevin Evan. <laughs> Um, we all had dinner together, and it was, I think, the most entertaining five-hour dinner I've ever had, you know, because Frankenheimer, great storyteller, you know uh, what I mean? And there was legend was that on Grand Prix, because the British are always having cups of tea, and, you know, they always break at 10 o'clock for bloody morning tea and then afternoon tea. But in front of all the extras, he blew up the tea trolley, he got special effects to stick a bomb under it and blew it up in front of the... Fun of the audience. He told me it was true, so I expect it probably was. Wow. I, you probably couldn't get away with that today. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, no, no. When, when did that change? There's all these wonderful stories and sort of insane stuff. I also think there's one about Sam Peckinpah, I think, going into a, a, an executive screening room where they're looking at their cut of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and Sam's drunk on his ass, and he, he walks up, and as the film's running, he... This yeah, unzips and pisses on the screen and it stumbles out. I, I, think, I think that was on dailies because of oh, okay. some focus problem. I can't remember. <laughs> but he's still had a career. <laughs> Actually, you know, if he, as his uh, drinking drugs got worse and worse, so his films got worse and worse, unfortunately. That, yes, can't, can't argue there. Was, was he, uh, were you a, a Peckinpah fan? Always oh, a huge Peckinpah fan. I mean, the Wild Bunch for me was probably the second film which really I was like knocked out with when I saw that movie in '68 when it came out, you know, and, and had it had a lot of reputation and so forth. And uh, I thought it was superb the movie, and uh, it wasn't just the you know, the violence, of course, which yeah. at the time was shocking, but it was the story was so interesting, the characters were so good. That was the point about it. You know, the, yeah. the fact these guys were cold-blooded killers, um, you, you didn't love them any, any less for that, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And the kind of weird, um, you know, their loyalty to the, uh, to the youngest member of the team who they finally sacrificed their lives for. It was really a great... And, and uh, Peckinpah was on his best behaviour on that one. I think he only mm. drank beer as far as that. <laughs> While, worked, he was, while he was working. I, I worked with his daughter. So Oh, really? Yeah. And she was in wardrobe. She was a wardrobe. And, and uh, we, we used to um, talk about it, you know, and, uh, in, in uh, Mexico. But uh, he was a very, very talented director. You know, who, yeah. I mean, his early work, you know, Ride the High Country, was yeah. a movie, really interesting. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, The Getaway was was a good movie, but it wasn't up there with The Wild Bunch or, you know, any of those. I happen to love Junior Bonner. Yes. Junior was wonderful. Yeah, a beautifully made film and sort of so nostalgic and, you know, quietly emotional, you know, as a movie. So Yeah, I think I think movies like that or um uh uh see now I've done it. You've got me you've got me forgetting things. The Jason Robards um, Kate, Ballad of Cable Hogue. Oh, the Ballad of Cable Hogue, um, yeah. People don't yeah. think, but there's a real sweet side to him. Oh, God, yes. Oh, absolutely. As, as with Junior Bonner, it's a, yeah. it's a beautiful movie. You know? But then, you know, as he quoted himself, well, I've, uh, I've given the movie without violence. Nobody went to see it. So we went with straw dogs. And that was it. 
<clears throat> What's your, I, Straw Dogs is also fascinating to me because I, I can't, it, it's not a movie you can say I love Straw Dogs. <laughs> oh, it's it. or, or if you do, if someone ever says to you, I love Straw Dogs, you should, you should leave the room immediately. But, but I think it's an incredible film. And I think, um, I mean, over the years, it just comes to, it, it seems to me to be, I don't know, intentionally or not, um, a very uh, kind of honest and personal film. It, it, whether or not he intends to reveal so much about himself and, and the kind of male ego, I don't know. But if you really want to understand the worst of... <laughs> yeah, I always direct themselves in their movies. You know, obviously, the personality of the director, I think, is always reflected. You know, you talk to Marty Scorsese, very sharp, very intelligent, very quick, you know, and that's what his movies are, very sharp, yeah. very quick, brilliantly kind of visceral and, and uh, so on and so forth. So I often think that the personality of the director, you know, Alan Pakula, uh, you know, his films tended to be a little languid, but beautifully done, you know, what I mean? look at that parallax view, you know, it was a sure. classic But he took his time, but Clute, another great movie he, um, he directed and... Uh, uh, so the personality of the director, I think, whether the director likes it or not, uh, comes over. No question about the um, uh, in the movie. I would only push back a little on that. I think some movies um, it, it it doesn't, and and they're generally not the best films. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's it. Yeah, because because really, when I when I think, I mean, really, I apologize for continuing to blow smoke up your ass. But you know, when I see you've got a film. Uh, um, you know, there's some movies where I go, I need to be in a good mood to see that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring me down or it's going to, but I'm just like I said, there's a new Martin Campbell film about, I am going to have a good time no matter what. And, and I always do. Because um, you just, you, I don't know, there's a kind of joy in, I mean, you do some dark stuff, but you're clearly enjoying yourself. And I clearly. I, I enjoy the process. You know? I, I enjoy the, I, I enjoy the whole process, you know, starting with the script and the writing and going, right the way through it. You know, I, I do enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's very clear. And then um, I wondered, so you saw, when you saw The Wild Bunch, had had it, um, you know, was it opening day? Were you walking in cold? Did you have a sense? Yeah, of very much. No, I knew the reputation of it because it was, there was a lot of publicity about it. And right. uh, I, I remember being knocked sideways when I saw it. I just couldn't believe this movie. It sort of, and I went back and saw it like the following week, and I've seen it so many times. The while I can almost, I could loop the damn film <laughs> myself, you know. That, that uh, now I, I, I absolutely loved it, and I love the, I love the characters. Holden, I was a huge fan of, as yeah. I, I always have been with um, William Holden. But you know, Warren Oates and Ben Johnson, who I love, and yeah. um, Jaime Chan Sanchez, who was in. Uh, um, what was the Lumet film? The pawnbroker, I think. The pawnbroker. Um, but he was uh, great. And all the, you know, Robert Ryan is a fantastic actor. Those, those, those guys who are not necessarily leads, but are, you know, uh, great, great character actors. Yeah. Like, they were so talented, you know, people like Ryan and guys like. Or yeah, or who had been at some point. I mean, there's some right. great like yeah. B movies in the fifties with Robert Ryan. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I love the way it plays. Uh, it, it still plays amazingly to a contemporary audience. It's got this yeah. kind of. I, I feel like it's the first time I ever saw a really dramatic use of a director's credit in a film. Yeah. They move, kill him. Yeah, yeah, boom. There's that, yeah. and then um, every. You sorry, go ahead. Sam made damn sure that he, <laughs> he got it with credit. Yeah, and, and he's. He deserved it. So. Yeah. And then just every time I see it in a theater, um, which I don't miss, uh, I don't know if you know, the, um, the Cinerama Dome in here at LA has been closed for quite some time. Um, yeah. Hoping it will be back, but I've seen it there a couple of times. And just the scene when those men just start walking down the road to. Well, the classic one. Yeah. I actually went. The audience to the, always goes nuts. I went to the 50th anniversary because. Uh, I, I think uh, I, I went to see the movie with, and some of the remaining crew who are still alive were there. Um, uh, what's his name? Cliff Coleman, who was the first assistant, was was there. And L.Q. Jones, who I've directed, uh, was also there. So, you know. Actually, what, he, am I, what have you directed him in? I directed him in Zorro. He played a, a Oh, that's part. right. That's right. Yes, he's in Zorro. 
Yeah, he he played and uh, you know and and LQ has always been a wonderful actor and yeah, uh, really interesting and still with us. Yeah, I mean he's probably ninety whatever, but he's uh, he's ninety something. He um he's a, he's a terrific. I'm sure. Have you seen a boy and his dog? No, I've, I, I have. He started off in the Young Lions and yeah. with uh, Marlon Brando, so. I think that was his first movie. So, because you know. yeah, no, he directed. I think just one film. He may have done another one. And he did. Um, yes, that was the one. Yeah, the boy. yeah. And there's my my friend Harlan Ellison wrote it. A great science fiction writer and um, uh, loved loved the film. Loved LQ. They had their share of battles, but uh, I got to meet LQ a couple of years ago after Harlan died, and we were doing a thing at the American Cinematheque, and we did two nights, and he couldn't come the night they screened the movie he directed. He came another night because, and I, I love this. And if it had been a 40-year-old director, you'd have gone, eh. But he's 91, and he couldn't make it because he had to drive to the airport to pick up his girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, he's a fiercely intelligent man. Yes. And yeah. Very right. And, and great knowledge of the cinema and everything else, but just about everything else as well. You know, yeah. He, you know, great. I, 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 was, I was a bit starstruck with him, much more than anybody else in the movie as it happened. I, I love that. Yeah, I find that habit all the time. I sort of get, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and walk down the street. I'm like, whatever. But, you know, I met William Smith once, and that was, <laughs> you know, you get very excited. Well, I love the sort of the great character actors, you know. Yeah. You, and if you have the, you know, the good fortune to work with them, then, you know, it's a real kick. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you, I mean, yeah, you got a bunch of them in um, uh, No Escape, right? No, no escape. Yeah, ninety. Was that ninety four? Ninety three? It's nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a, a a film that I turned down three times. Uh, then, to be absolutely honest, I needed the money. I was buying a house, so I had Gail Ann Hurd, who I'd done the um, the HBO movie, Cast a Deadly Spell, and I finally said, "Well, I'll do it." So we go to Australia, and we do it. Um, and the film didn't do any business. I mean, we, we did it. It got criticized at the time for its violence and so forth. But, um, and uh, that was the film that got me Goldeneye. Oh, really? Oh, wonderful. Deservedly. Yeah, it's a terrific it's, film. Despite it not, you know, commercially doing well, it actually um, it was seen by John Kelly at United Artists. And he called me up and said he'd seen it and he really liked it. And would I like to direct a Bond film? So it was wow. really, you know, it really served its purpose. Yeah, no, well, that paid off. Yeah, that's a that's a great bill. I, I know you made at least $10 because I, I saw it in the theater. Actually, 20 I saw it with a friend. So, oh, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. But you're packed, packed with great character actors, um, yeah. which is which is always fun. We'd like to pause a minute and thank our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website. They're not only huge fans of our show, but they feature many of the movies we discuss here, and so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites and you watch what you want and you watch when you want it, and, uh, and usually there's a ton of great content and bonus features like director commentaries, deleted scenes, all sorts of stuff. Buy your favorites at MoviesUnlimited.com. You'll find classics, imports, hard-to-find films, and, of course, new releases, too. Prices are great, and the choices are endless. Own the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features you just don't get elsewhere whenever you want. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on our website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's website, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. Um, well, what, what, uh, I, I'm wondering sort of what's your, um, do you have any filmmakers working right now who you really, who like excite you to go see their work and kind of keep you, you know, probably I love Tarantino's work. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 I loved, uh, once upon a time and Hollywood. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is a terrific film. You know, he, he, yeah. he has this left field kind of quirky, bizarre approach to things, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite directors is uh, Peter Weir, who is... Oh, God, yes, yeah. You know, Witness, I thought, was so fantastically done, beautifully directed, and all his movies are beautifully directed. You know, he's someone who 
really takes it seriously, really goes into it. Master and Commander, another one I thought was a terrific movie. What are the uh, great, how is, how have we not had nine of those by now? I wish to God, um, you know, I haven't seen anything recently at all. So I think he's perhaps given up slightly. You know, I don't think he likes the Hollywood um, thing too much, but um, yeah. he's always been a wonderfully creative director. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, what's it called? Oh, God, what was the one set in the school? Dead Poets Society. Dead Poets Society, yeah. yeah I, I, he, he's someone who I've always admired and thought, you know. Um, yeah, so, I know he's consistent too. And um, in the old directors, Don Siegel was, I was a great fan of Don Siegel. Yeah, uh, that, makes, great, that makes perfect sense. Great storyteller, very simple the way he shot, but really well done. In fact, what did I see? Charlie Varick the other day. Oh my God. Which was a wonderful film. It didn't do any business, but you know they didn't sell it properly. But it's a really classic example of clear, straightforward storytelling great surprises throughout that movie and uh, with a sense of humor, you know, don't see Walter Matthau as an action hero, kind of, which is. Matthau did not like the film at all. No, he hated it. Hated it. He thought he, how the hell he was casting because Donald Sutherland was originally going to do it. Oh really? Oh, that I didn't know. Yeah. He, he was going to do it. And then anyway, he dropped out. Matthau took it on and he said, I could never understand the part. Well, he used to say to and he's terrific in it, you know. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. My, my understanding, they had a big fight, too, because he had, and I love Walter Matthau, and weirdly, I think that and Taking of Pelham are probably my two favorite Matthau films, and they're very atypical. But he, he wanted to do, he had a brackets idea where he wanted to shoot a scene where you see Charlie Varick driving to a movie studio, and he goes in, and he goes, I'm going to tell you a great story. And then oh, at the cool. end, he walks out, and you're like, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. What a bizarre! Really, is that what he wanted? But he and was never—he was never on board with the film. But he but, refused to promote it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, didn't publicize it. And you know, which is so stupid because it's a really good film. Yeah, I, we we've talked about it a bit on the show, but I'm always recommending because I I saw it. It's a movie I saw as a child, and it was I think the first time I understood what writers do on a movie because uh, we had to walk in. My father took me to see it. Something else was sold out. So we just went to the next theater and we walked in 40 minutes in and then stayed to watch the beginning again. And it was the first time when you see everything come together and then you yeah. go back and you see how it's set up. It was the first time it occurred to me that this has to be designed. Yeah, it is very well designed. And so Siegel was a great storyteller. I mean, you know, later on in his career, he had things like Jinx and stuff, uh, not good films. And the Kremlin, was it not, not the Kremlin letter, the whatever it was called, with Charlie Bronson and so forth. Not in the movies. Oh, Telephone, yeah. But I thought um, The Shooters was a wonderful movie. Beautiful film. Yeah. And he didn't get on with Wayne and they argued mm-hmm. the hell all the time. But, you know, Siegel, I thought, got it. And it's it's a beautifully done movie. And Wayne's never been better, quite frankly. Yeah, no, he's, he's great in that. And then um, I think probably the last great one, uh, Siegel, it was Escape from Alcatraz, which... Yeah. Is, yeah, oh, no, true, which... Uh, and he was ill on that because Eastwood took over a couple of times directing that when he was uh, he was uh, not well. But even Coogan's Bluff and yeah. his beguiled um, basement oh, body snatchers, you know, and and he was a montage director. That's where his background was. He That's right. Yep. Did montage for some very famous films, probably The Charge of the Light Brigade, all those sort of movies. Yeah. He that did those some um, montages. Yeah. He's, he's wondering, I just showed Dirty Harry to some younger friends who had never seen it before. Well. Just knocked them out. They, they didn't yeah. know what to make of it. it was, perfect. perfect. Uh, yeah. um, can, can I tell you a great story about yeah. Escape from Alcatraz? I, I met the writer, uh, Richard Tuggle, several years back and um, just, just begged him for stories about that. <laughs> and uh, this was one of my favorites. It's such a great movie star story. It's why Clint Eastwood is, you know, Got a new movie coming out, I think, in two, two weeks. Um, so they're, they're, they're doing a scene where a character walks up to Clint's character and says, what kind of childhood did you have, Frank? And Tuggle had written this monologue uh, about like uh, an abusive father and a prostitute mother and all the rest of this, and he does it. 
And Siegel goes, nah, Clint goes, nah, like do another take and they do another take and it's not working. And Siegel goes, okay, go, go write something else. We'll do it tomorrow. And they shoot some other stuff. He comes in the next day and the guy goes, what kind of childhood did you have, Frank? And he tells a story about growing up in, you know, uh, uh, like a you know, prison boarding school or, not, you know, uh, Borstal, essentially, and, and being abused and all the rest of this. And it's a long monologue and it's not working. And Siegel's like, it's just not. And everybody knows it's not working. And they do two or three takes and Siegel goes, okay, we'll have to try something else. And Clint goes, I, I have an idea. So they roll, a guy walks up and he goes, what kind of childhood did you have, Frank? And Clint Eastwood goes, short. <laughs> well, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Print. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wonderful. And I love that the writer told me that story. He was very, yeah. very proud of it. <laughs> Well, McLean used to do that, cut his lines all the time. Yeah, yeah, which is... I've, I've actually, I've used that with actors who are maybe not the person you wish had been cast in a part and are not doing... You, you tell them the story of how Clint Eastwood and Steve McQueen used to cut their own lines, and that's why they're big movie stars. And, and then they'll let you cut their lines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure I'm that tactful. I just don't... <laughs> Well, you're the director. You don't have to be. Like as, as writers, we have to we have to make everyone think it's their idea. Oh, <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Well, uh, uh, Martin, man, it is it has been such a pleasure uh, talking to you. Um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll confess, I've I've known a couple of folks who have uh, uh, worked in um, uh, design departments uh, with you in the past, and they they had they had prepared me for the fact that you would be every bit as as enjoyable as I thought you'd be. So. Well, I was, I, I, You'll be able to see um, memory, which is my is the next one. I'm just just completing at the moment with Liam, and so and it's very different to um, very different to uh, the protege. So yeah, well, it's I'm assuming you're keeping the darkness. Um, I don't know how you wouldn't. It's a yeah, very much looking forward to that. And um, folks, if um, the the protege is in theaters now, I really do. It's it's a terrific film. See it however you can, but. If you are fortunate enough to be in a place that has movie theaters still, please go see it there because um, it is my one regret. I did not get to see it with the crowd, but uh, uh, it's a terrific film. And I'm, I'm so glad we have more to look forward to uh, from you. And um, this, this has just been a pleasure. So, uh, hey. Martin, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made. Stay safe out there, folks. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.